Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 15 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today we got lucky and we had Sam Spinelli show up. He's pursuing his doctorate in physical therapy. And so he came on, we talked about rehabbing injuries, a lot of industry misinformation, and a good discussion about CrossFit and barbell sports. So uh, stick around and enjoy. And before I forget, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we've got uh, Sam Spinelli on here. We were just chatting with him offline about how he's uh, in the works. He'll soon have his doctorate in physical therapy. And that's among many other roles and hats worn. Uh, now Sam's originally from the Edmonton area, Fort Saskatchewan, and recently moved to Southern California to work for Exos. Um, so <laughs> we're up here freezing our butts off. Meanwhile, you've got gorgeous California weather. So how is that, Sam? It's been pretty phenomenal. Like uh, definitely being used to the last few years, I've either been in Canada or in uh, central Massachusetts, where it's pretty much the exact same weather. Yeah. So this is a huge change. And do we get the description right? Because I know we're talking about doctors and not doctors and blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> Did we get it right? Uh, I guess uh, kind of not. No. So I <laughs> technically do not have my doctor of physical therapy yet. I will have that completed in April. So then I'll be a uh, licensed, board-certified doctor of physical therapy. Nice. So just a little bit of background on yourself. Could you kind of give us the rundown of who Sam is and wh why? Yeah, what you do, man. Sure. Yeah. Um, so right now I am a physical therapy student. So I do a lot of, uh, I'm all on clinical rotation. So I just spend my day in different clinics. I was just previously in Chicago where I was working in a outpatient setting. And then right now I'm about to transition to Exos, which is in Southern California. And I spend my days hanging out with people, helping them feel better, work on improving performance, work on improving functionality in whatever their domain is. And then in addition, I try to also do a lot of strength and conditioning stuff. I own a uh, strength and conditioning programming company. And then in addition, I also do a lot of social media where I try to uh, challenge misinformation and share good knowledge. Well, and that's one thing we want to touch on is that and we'll talk about physical, physical therapists and the kind of where you're at, but not a lot of people in that clinical setting have kind of had a profile in the fitness industry, especially within social media. And a few people have done it, but can you explain why, um, can you just explain the dynamic and why you think that's going to be important going forward? Yeah, I think, so if we look at um, the evidence of research that we have, I'm a huge research nerd. I really enjoy mm -hmm. uh, having as much information to support whatever opinion I have. And uh, in saying that, we're coming to a point in time where we see a lot of physical therapy progressively transitioning to this thing where it's it's reflecting more and more like what we see in the fitness industry. The things that we do within the fitness industry is, you know, in essence, we give exercises. It's really not that complex, but it's just the thought process that's behind them. And in saying that, physical therapy is seeing more and more research come out that challenges a lot of the other stuff that we do. So whether it be the modalities like electrical stimulation, ultrasound, um, any of that kind of stuff. And it's seeing more and more support in contrast for exercises just done in an appropriate format. Yeah. So I think over time we're going to see more people learning more from excellent strength and conditioning coaches and um, just also seeing more physical therapists start to speak out about that kind of stuff. When you've done that quite well, like even I would say even before all of this, you were kind of uh, kind of growing in your own right as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, has mm. that impacted your practice or your kind of education <clears throat> as it stands right now, and what you bring to I guess Exos even? Yeah, no, I think if I go into like let's say outside of Exos, if I walk into any clinic, I'm probably the most knowledgeable person in regards to exercise that I've uh, been in any sort of setting at. But the place that I was just at, very good practitioners. But as far as understanding exercise, being able to coach exercise, things like that, I was, you know, years ahead of them. And so then it was a great opportunity for me to be able to share that with most people. Um, I'm going to assume that at Exos that won't be the situation. Hopefully. But it's going to be, <laughs> you know, it's when you come into, whenever you change pro professions and there's, um, 
you know, like in the fitness industry, basically all we do is exercise. So yeah. you really specialize in that. And in contrast, when I come over to physical therapy where I have different avenues of being able to do different interventions and I utilize exercise as my primary one in most of the things that I do. So I'm able to really excel in that area. I love actually hearing this because this is something I actually have learned and I strongly believe in. I have one particular physiotherapist. Uh, his name is Darren Bishop. He's located in Sherwood Park right now. And I send a lot of my clientele and friends and contacts to him because I, he's someone I believe in. He's got an ex extensive exercise background. He really understands this stuff. I'm not necessarily so inclined to send people to uh, physiotherapists who don't have much of a personal or professional background in exercise. And I've seen this sort of thing and it feels like there's this giant missing component and everything you said seems to reinforce that. So what are your thoughts on that and physiotherapists who maybe don't have that background? No, I would completely agree. And I think that we're coming to a point in time where we see that a lot of physical therapists in the past, um, I'm not exactly, I, you know, I don't want to point a finger and say that they were bad or anything, no. but they came from a different belief system where, you know, like what we do in the gym is not what we used to be done in the gym either. Like we, we care about being better than we were. We are pushing ourselves to a higher level of fitness in all regards. Like we're not just going and sitting down on the bike and doing 10 minutes just to get some cardiovascular exercise. Like we're, we're legitimately going in with intent and purpose. And, you know, people were coming in to see physical therapists and the idea of rest was desirable. And, just the belief systems that were in physical therapy for such a long time are so contrary to what we know now. And unfortunately there just hasn't been a great transition to that new knowledge. I know that even in my own schooling, I'm completing a doctorate and the information that I'm given in a lot of this regards is, is not the most up to date stuff. I would say it's easily 20 years behind in some regards in, in other regards it's, it's up to date, but especially with this stuff, it's not right. Like I know that, <clears throat> my first week of classes, I was told that deadlifts were dangerous <laughs> and like that, that spurred like a very long discussion and, uh, set the pace for what I was going to be in my school. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that a lot of physical therapy has not had, uh, I guess, well-educated people come to the, to, to the table before in regards to having knowledge of strength and conditioning or any of that sort of stuff. And so now we're seeing this blended transition where there's a lot more people with a strength background that are coming into the profession and also seeing more individuals who are just very intelligent in the strength conditioning field discussing these things with physical therapists. A great example is like Brett Contreras. Like he's been getting into the discussions a lot more and like he reads research very well. So he's able to sit in on these conversations and actually bring a lot to the table. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned Brett. So you might be familiar with this. I remember that Mark Ripito wrote this article that uh, pretty much, yeah, you're, you know it, savaged physical therapists. And then Brett, and I can't remember who was the other person, but I think they did a podcast anyway. And they went through everything Ripito said point by point and more or less debunked all this stuff. And, and like, I like Ripito for old school strength type stuff and some of his hardcore attitudes. He's got some good quotes. But when he's speaking on physical therapists, I think he's completely off base. So I don't know if you had any thoughts of that one. No, I, to be honest, I think that a problem in any profession is that if it's not held to push itself forward and push itself further to a higher standard, it's going to get, um, I guess, um, it's going to stay in place or even go backwards. And unfortunately, that probably is what happened in the profession in a lot of ways. And people that spoke out against it, like Ripito and other individuals that have been vocal on that, have while I don't love the way that they went about it, it did challenge the profession to push itself forward. Absolutely. And I totally agree. Like Ripito is a wicked guy. He's done a lot of good things for general lifting. Uh, but I don't think that his attitude is totally accurate. But if you do go into a lot of physical therapy clinics, unfortunately, you will see a lot of what he said, which is the bad part. And that's where physical therapy itself needs to hold itself accountable and push to not have that image being shown. Well, I've seen things like, uh, you know, people coming to me and saying, oh, they went in to see the, uh, the therapist and they were given, um, like they've shown three little exercise where they, you know, they do band rotations with their elbows or sorry, shoulders. 
and they're given the sheet to how to do it. And then the physiotherapist is gone <clears> right to the next person and they really don't get much <clears> time with them. And then like my guy that I mentioned specifically and some others that I know, they'll take an extensive period of time, work with that person. And they're progressively working on a lot of different things, which includes resistance-based exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it goes back yeah. to that whole idea of, and you see it in the fitness industry. Um, I guess we're all in the fitness industry, but even with <laughs> trainers, there's a spectrum. And generally, and like physiotherapy, is it all costs the same amount of money, mostly. So it's usually between 65 and 85 for training, maybe 100 if you're lucky. Same thing with physiotherapy. But there's a spectrum in which usually the, the people that are the worst at it are the most highly represented and that's what people think it as so i guess mark ripado is saying that he wasn't attacking the people that are doing it right but he did make it quite evident that he had a, he challenged that whole spectrum and like people need to get better essentially is what he said and, and like you said Sam, yeah. if it leads to discussion and everybody comes out better on the other end and exposes the bad practices then it's probably all for the good so let's mm-hmm. go, let's go a little deeper into you know your work working with injuries. Uh, you know this stuff may not sound all that sexy to people, but this is something that people sooner or later almost everybody's going to end up with some sort of injury or have to rehabilitate or deal with this. Can you discuss some of the key elements in more detail, uh, helping our listeners understand and appreciate more about rehab, and perhaps some of your thoughts about how to avoid ending up on the rehab table or in a, a situation where you're seriously hurt? Sure. No, I think that. Uh, it's definitely an important discussion to have, especially with the new year coming up. There's going to be a lot of people that decide to go out and take up new fitness things. So uh, there's going to be a few important things that everyone's going to want to consider when they're like looking at those characteristics. Um, for instance, I would say that there's probably three primary things that people are going to want to consider in just avoiding getting any sort of injury. Like it, It's hard to specifically say that we can prevent an injury, but there are ways that we can reduce the risk of it. And... A few things to watch out for are just your general volume or load that you're doing. Anytime that you have a large increase in it, you're going to be putting yourself at a greater risk for that injury. There's a lot of research on this regards, and we can consistently see that if we're looking at sport athletes, so it's an easy way to like measure this, and we can see that, I know that a lot of it's been done on uh, soccer and rugby, where we can see that the timelines of their increases in volume, whether it be in practice times or game times, and even uh, weight room training, the amount of volume that is increased suddenly, we also see a consistent increase and in more number of injuries occur. So an easy way to manage that is just by being very careful with the way that you program your own um, training and watching the volumes that you do. Uh, I guess another one is, I don't really love this terminology, but it's called, we'll say, movement quality and I think that it's difficult to pinpoint an exact thing of like what is quality movement, but we can say that we want something that's going to be biomechanically appropriate for what you're trying to do. Yeah. And you know, like if I'm trying to lift 500 pounds off the floor versus pick up a pencil, those two things don't need to look the same. I'm doing generally the same movement, but the uh, positions that I try to put myself in don't need to be the exact same. So like if I'm picking up a pencil, it's totally fine. I can round my back. I don't need to generally worry about that. In contrast, as I progress my way towards something heavier, I'm going to need to put more thought and effort into the positions that I maintain. And that's where, again, having someone, if you are no idea what you're doing there, just having someone educate you about those things is really important. That's where guys like you come in. Um, well, not to, not to sell us at all, okay. but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where like people don't know they're doing things wrong until they're usually hurt. And then maybe it's a good idea if you're newer just to kind of get a tune up or get someone to show you first, then kind of go and progress. Cause, cause you know, as well, we're both lifters at heart and like the amount of shit I did wrong from 15 to 26, I'm 30. I would probably slap myself in the head. Don't let him fool you. He probably did some stupid shit this week. I, I'm exactly. better. I'm better as I get older. Let's put it that way. But I understand. I think it's, yeah, exactly. Like we're always going to continuously be learning and there's always going to be things that we'll reflect back on and think, man, I was so stupid. <laughs> Just like Andrew said, you're probably going to feel that way coming up about this time. Um, and yeah, it's just the nature of it. Um, outside of those two things, like the one other thing that people have to consider, it's like, it's something to consider, but not worry about is just sort of genetic predisposition. It's unfortunate to have that brought up because like we really can't do anything inherently about changing our genes, but People have um, some sort of increased likelihood of various different conditions. And for some people, there are things that are more related to lifting. 
for instance, like there's a, 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 a category of injuries called tendinopathy. So it's basically anything that relates to a tendon. Previously, you'd hear about like tendonitis, tendinosis, those things. And, uh, you know, they found out through like looking at genetics related to tendons that some people just are more predisposed to getting tendinopathy related conditions and sort of similar other areas of injury spectrums. And it's not necessarily that maybe overly concerned, but if you just, you know, you notice that you keep getting these things, you just got to be more careful about the way that you program stuff. Well, and that goes right into my new question is that, um, my new question, my next question is that kind of with this new fitness, this new year's fitness season, whatever you want to call it, and the influx of people coming in, kind of tying in all those three elements, what should people be aware of when starting a new workout program? So sort of those things, but like, what are your kind of big rocks for people that just have a program? I'm stepping in the gym, I'm doing it. Like, what's your advice to them? I would say that they want to be, start slow and build consistency. Out of the, uh, if you look at all those things, the the volume, the big jump in volume, that a lot of people experience, as especially at the start of the new year when they want to get, you know, build that new me, new body thing, and then they uh, they make an expectation upon themselves, like oh I'm gonna go to the gym five days a week, yeah. I'm gonna crush sixty minutes every single day, and then by week three they're done, no more, I can't handle this, it's just too hard. <laughs> and like I get it, like if you ask me to double everything that I did right now, that would be horrible. <laughs> but you know, if, you, if you have that discussion with that person, you're like, hey, how about we start off with one day a week for the first couple of weeks, and we'll go to two days a week. Let's just start off a really easy and see that you can be absolutely successful with it. Build success and then build off of that. And then you know, that's where starting off slow and seeing that you can get consistent with that. We definitely can see that in any sort of major avenue of life if you can't get consistent with it you're just not going to have long-term sustainability or success with it and people really overlook those things like they think that there's a lot more needed to see improvement than there is like if i go and take a person who hasn't done anything for the last six months i get them to work out once a week and just watch their water intake for the next week they're going to see results off that those simple changes in that first week now will that carry them through for the next year no but can i set those simple things as a starting point and then each week make small increases absolutely but this message isn't sexy sam well and and, and again if this this no. episode is going to be perfect because like it's literally going to be released in like two hours let's just say if it goes according to plan, if it goes according yeah. to the plan which it will is that you know what that's that's honestly the the best advice you can give me is going to be the one that people are going to ignore the most because they're like, well, it's fucking New Year's. I'm going to smash this, this, and this. I found the men's health workout. I'm going to fucking hit that three times a week. I'm going to get my bench to 225. I'm going to run a marathon. And that I think that if we've had any pattern throughout our podcast is that we're pretty much be moderate in your approach to these things because that's what's going to get you where you need to go. It's, it ain't going to happen in a fucking month. Fuck that. Two hours of CrossFit a day, five days a week, just starting. <laughs> and Sam's almost a physical therapist. So, like, listen to him, man. Like, if you don't want to listen to people that are trainers, because... But actually, you know what? Biased-wise, trainers are telling them to work out less. Maybe there's something to that. Because theoretically, I want your money. Like, at the end of the day, I want to help you, but I want money. But I'm telling you to work out less. Maybe there's a good message there. Because I'm not saying, hey, we'll work out six times a week and give me more money. Well, this is something that, I mean, not always necessarily about working out less, but certainly when I deal with clients, I actually try to encourage them to see me less frequently and to develop the skills to be more independent. And I'll say this to them, like, literally, I could say, hey, see me more and spend more money on me, but I want this experience to be sustainable. I want them to develop these independent skills. And ultimately, I want their money to stretch a lot further. And I think if you genuinely prepare them to be able to be more independent, that message can earn a lot of credibility in the eyes of those clients. Mm -hmm. And you can end up with clients a lot longer because this stuff does add up and it does get expensive. So if you can make it affordable for them, then good move. This is one thing I almost want to tie into physiotherapy is that, again, you don't want to keep people longer because you want to heal them from their injuries. But do you think that there's more because you're taking the strength and conditioning aside and kind of marrying that, do you see that you'll bring more value over time for people to kind of teach them and educate them more because of the strength and conditioning portion? Not to necessarily keep them with you longer, but do you think that holding on to them a little bit longer, you can keep them injury free longer because of your strength conditioning side? Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so I think that what I have done differently, at least while I've been on my rotations and has caught some like, now, obviously, I'm in the clinic with other clinicians, yeah. and 
they'll notice that I don't ask people to see me the same frequency as they might have. And that's been something where we've had a lot of discussion about. I know like at the last place I was at, I would have people come in for various conditions. And whereas they might have asked for that person to come in three times a week, I asked for them only one or two times. Yeah. And because, again, the approach that I'm going to take generally is going to be where I'm going to try to educate the patient, give them as much valued information as possible, uh, avoid giving them excess. But the stuff that really matters, those big rocks, and then give them the things that they will be successful with upon doing outside and away from me and helping them be a part of the process themselves. Yeah. And then I'm there to help guide them through it. Like I don't want them to feel reliant on me. I want them to have as much self-efficacy as possible. And then I'm there just to like, you know, fill in the questions and fine tune little details that might matter and might not matter and help to just teach them the steps that need to keep going so that they can continue to keep making progress. But Ideally, sort of similar to what you said, you know, I don't want people to see me. I, it costs money. Like, if I can get you out of there in, t- in one appointment, never see me again. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure that we had a great discussion and that we're friendly, but I never want to see you again. <laughs> Unless you, you really don't want to see them. <laughs> if I ever see your fucking face walk in this place again, it's going to be trouble. And just like, and this is kind of just a question that I'm interested in is just that I see people mm-hmm. all the time that like, oh, my knee pain or my back pain, my squat. And like, they think I'm a wizard because I'll fix them in like literally like one minute. Do you ever get people like that where the problem's so simple and then they think that it's worse than it is? And like, what do you tell those people? Does that make, because <laughs> I'm sure you've had people no. that you could just literally fix their movement pattern and they're like, oh, my knee doesn't hurt, but I want like IMS Absolutely. or whatever, right? Coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like, it'll be very simple, and it's like, you know, if we understand uh, certain principles of how do we stress different tissues, and you're like, okay, well, so you say your knees for me squat, well, then I'm going to make some presumptions about how you squat. Show me how you squat. Okay, you just feel, you just accurately showed me the squat I was expecting. Well, let's just make some <laughs> changes so that we don't piss your knee off as much. Oh, look, squatting doesn't hurt anymore. Let's get you to do that for a while, and then maybe we can make some changes to... You know, if, for instance, the person that lifts their heels up while they squat, okay, well, yeah, you're going to put more stress on your knee. Oh, you're the person that really shoves your knees forward and doesn't sit back at all. Okay, well, let's change that. And now over time, maybe we work towards finding a middle ground. Like if we had to go really far to the one side to avoid any forward knee, well, let's find that middle ground over time as you get more comfortable with it. But for sure, like people have these, um, hopefully I don't piss too many people off with this no. statement. A lot of people think that they have like bad knees or bad backs or all these things. And there is definitely people out there that have, you know, quote unquote, bad knees and bad backs. That is accurate, I guess, in regards to having a lot of pathology in your tissue. But I think it's like people, they have this really skewed, really skewed opinion, especially when they're giving something like an MRI or an x-ray. Like if you have an MRI of my back, I got an, I was a part of an MRI study when I was back at U of A doing my undergrad. And they came and told me I had three herniated discs. And I, at the time, had no idea. Not, not a single chance. Like, I thought I was killing it. And then I was like, shit, now what am I going to do? Like, I instantly scared. And now it's like, now I know that it doesn't reflect upon uh, the same things and that it doesn't necessarily matter. But you could have easily convinced me that I have a bad back and I need to stop deadlifting. Fortunately, no one had said that at the time. Yeah. But did you? people did you- have these... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. Just people are unfortunately told some bad information and it generally comes from people, uh, as I don't want to say like us, but, you know, in professions like us, people hear something from their trainer or from their PT or their physician and then they're scared because they think that, yeah, I have a bad knee. I know, like, again, not to point out my own uh, injuries, but, you know, I've got a degenerative right hip. I got diagnosed when I was 18. They just told me, they're like, yeah, your hip is the same as a 70-year-old. I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? They're like, well, you're just going to be in pain the rest of your life. Oh, okay. That's cool. But, (laughs) you know, like right now, I generally don't have pain because I've learned information about how to manage it, things to avoid, things that I can do for it. But at the time, those people just didn't know any of that information. So they just said, ah, just deal with it. Did did you ever butt heads with people in a clinical setting. And the reason why I ask is not to like throw people under the bus, but like you would probably do things a different way. Like just say like, even in terms of knee pain, cause you're going to be like, Oh, what do you do? Do you squat? Okay, let me see you squat. Did you ever butt heads with people that were like, what the fuck are you doing, Sam? Like, <laughs> yeah, actually like, so, uh, yeah, a lot. Uh, I will say quite a lot. And 
I'm by no means the smartest person ever, but I think that I am a person that's going to try to find the best way to make people do everything that they can. I want to support you doing the things that you want to do. And, um, unfortunately I think there's a lot of people out there that just want to like force their beliefs upon other people. And that, that sort of stuff generally pisses me off. <laughs> and also like these just like really weird, like thought processes. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys saw, I just wrote an article about like the seven greatest exercises for people over 40. And, uh, it's like actually a joke article because there's a, I won't point out who they are, but there's a physical therapy association here in the U S that posted this article and it was called like the seven worst exercises for people over 40. And it was like a uh, high oh, intensity exercise, right? squats, deadlifts, knee <laughs> extension. And just like the rationale though, like it's one thing if you want to say an exercise is bad. I personally think there's, there's no such thing as a bad exercise, but let's say that you have that belief, at least have like a good belief behind it. The argument against knee extensions, like leg extensions was that the knee was not designed to extend against load. I don't know if you guys can like think about that statement for a second. Jesus. I'm really not sure how you're standing. So there's just like there's no load going. There's, no, you're not, you're, there's yeah. no load on your lower body. You you just love it's just with like you, don't you exactly like pissing off like associations. A, That's great. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen a lot more. Well, no, and it, it's good. It's it's what it would be similar to. It's not similar to starting strength, but you're challenging. Um, you're challenging the fact that you can you can know and act a little differently as a physiotherapist based on what people think. Because people think you go in, you you get told what's wrong, and you get some some ultrasound done, and like that's not necessarily the case for everyone. Like you might actually go and you have a badass dude that's going to evaluate your squat, do a bunch of shit that's going to make you feel good, and they're not going to let you off needing you. You know what I mean? So I think that's good to challenge personally. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go over in another direction. And Sam, you can go anywhere you want with all this stuff. But I wanted to ask you about, you You mentioned earlier, you love the battle industry misinformation. and He loves it. We, we could all lose our fucking I'm minds joking. fighting these battles with all the idiots and, and charlatans and zealots that we encounter. Uh, if you had to choose a few hills to die on, uh, what are some of the things that you feel the most strongly about that we really need to educate people? <clears throat> I guess like if uh, if you're gonna make me pick only a few things, yeah. there's, a gun, there's a gun. There's a gun to your head. Like Sam, tell <laughs> us, we, tell the world. We sort of have a time limit. I mean, but go not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I would say that a few ones that really stand out are semantics, which is basically like the meaning of words and phrases, which can have like a huge impact, and it it can go between like the cues that we say to people, or even the way that we describe things. So the difference between, you know, if I see someone who squats, as you said before. And I see that their knees are falling inwards. And it's like, I have two options of, of how I could describe that. I could either say, hey, you're going to hurt yourself if you do that, which is like a questionable statement. Or I could say, if we get your knees out, you're going to have more force production. Well, personally, I would say that the second option is the better choice. Um, another area that I'm going to like fight to death on is it's called the biopsychosocial view of pain. Pain is like a very complex thing that's not easily defined or discussed. And, uh, previously we've had all these different viewpoints on pain all the way back from like Rene Descartes in, I think like 600 BC. And the biopsychosocial where we have the three different aspects when we try to evaluate pain from the biological. So that's where people generally are more accustomed to. Like, uh, I mentioned before, like I have a herniated disc and now I have pain. Versus there's also psychological aspects. So maybe I have pain in my lower back because of some psychological belief system I have or a social aspect where maybe I have lower back pain just because I'm stressed out about different things with my loved ones. Um, oh, something you want to say something, I, Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, uh, I'm good. Actually, oh, uh, I was going to throw in something there because I came across this sort of recently, but it seems to make sense that uh, pain is one of the things that seems to be the most strongly affected by the placebo effect. And there's, I guess, research done on this, how uh, a lot of surgeries may that are done in order to alleviate pain may actually not really be very effective or even necessary. And in studies where they essentially tricked the patient into thinking they had the surgery, they noticed over the same time frame, the same pain alleviation effects from the placebo versus the actual surgery. Uh, is that a good example of what you're talking about? 
Oh, that's, that's an incredible example. That's where we could go down a huge rabbit hole in that. Um, where, in, so placebo is maybe not the best description anymore. Like we're learning, trying to de- describe these things even better. And when we use like the term placebo, placebo means that I give you an inert substance or an inert thing. So it has, it shouldn't have an effect. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that unfortunately, when we do these things, we're not realizing there's other ways things could happen. Like for instance, with surgery, surgery is, it's pretty great to do in regards to, um, when they do comparison studies because you can sham it or give the placebo group, uh, you can make it look real. Basically, like when they're doing a shoulder surgery, instead of actually going in and doing a rotator cuff repair, they can just make a small incision and just sew it back up and the person thinks that they had it. But because there's such a strong belief that, oh, I had this, now my stuff is fixed. Oh, I had this excellent surgeon that worked on me, well, now I'm better. And all these different things that go in, they create these things called non-specific benefits or um, reliefs. And so they're just like general things that can get improved. And we see the same thing in physical therapy, basically in every profession. Like when I sit down with a patient and I tell them that this will make you better, it gives them a precursor belief. I'm getting them prepared to expect that this will make them better, even if it, it technically shouldn't they'll probably feel better just because I told them that. Now, whether that I should use that or I shouldn't use that is up to your own belief system. But keeping that in mind, that's where, like, when I get into discussions with people about, like, you know, they'll say, oh, I do X intervention because I, I know it works. I've seen it work. It's like, well, there's, like, a lot of factors that go into the way that you do something when you work with someone. So you can't necessarily, it's that sole thing that happens. And that's where, like, research comes in to try and hopefully point out those different details. This is probably why you see, like, faith healing and going to see witch doctors <laughs> in certain cultures. Like, people give anecdotal evidence, like, oh, this shit worked, it cured my whatever the fuck. And But yeah. it actually plays into this whole uh, belief that, hey, I expect something positive is going to happen, and therefore you see pain alleviation. I, I don't think it's going to cure... Uh, you know, the rel- the warts that are growing and godly knows where in someone's body, but at the very least, if it's making pain go away, then there's an argument that it might be good. Not that I'm advocating for faith healing of all fucking things. Well, sort of. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it... I've had that effect with some people. Like, I, I've worked with someone, and just because so I think. Now. You, no, not healer. with faith healing, but like even with my exercise, <laughs> like, and Sam knows my history with like hips and stuff, and like. With, with certain people cueing me, I feel better, but it's just that whole idea of maybe I just thought that, I don't know, I was going for help, so I'm going to get it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can, I understand it because the second I don't have that reinforcement, it's it's much harder. Mm-hmm. So I can see if Absolutely. they put a fake like, I know that you guys were, Like if we take an example, like I know that you guys have been talking with Dean Somerset recently. Yeah. We just literally had him if in we the make house. A, <laughs> yeah. And if, if you take, um, let's say some other trainer at world health and then you take dean and you have them both coach you on doing an exercise for your hip dean yeah which one just like let's say that we we structured the the conversation so that they both said the exact same things yeah which one do you think is going to get better results dean somerset because i dean think somerset. that he's the hip guy yeah exactly exactly and it's going to be instantly that you're going to have so much more relief just from him being in the conversation it's so funny because we, we've sort of established now this running joke that we will somehow slip Dean Somerset into every episode. He's appealing to <laughs> yours is going to come out before his and then uh, his wife yeah. also recorded one. So she'll be next. So but I think all but one episode we've actually referenced him or mentioned him and it's going to be just a recurring thing. So you slipped it in there before we went there. So that's actually pretty fantastic. We're manipulating the situation. But yeah, no, I totally get that. And again, I don't know what the science is behind that. And maybe it's just the coaching involved. But I think that like that's hard to fucking research, though. <laughs> Because oh, like yeah, you said, yeah. there's an individual factor. Obviously, you can maybe scientifically break down what that is. But some people are just wizards. Like there's no other way to explain mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like not that Dean's a wizard, but there's other people in this industry that would probably be the same way. And, you know, that's why mm-hmm. they're industry leaders. But it's just you can't replicate what some of these people do. Like it's they do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. To go further on this idea. So you kind of talked about the hill you're going to die on. But what are some hills that people are dying on or things that people in industry professionals particularly are using as a poor use of their energy or involve too much of their time and negativity towards does it, so like what are they spending their time on that you think that maybe they could kind of push into another direction you know i thought i thought about this and i'd say that it's hard to pinpoint exactly like 
by hills like categories that people should you know stop arguing on yeah but instead like maybe there's a few caveats that people should keep in mind these are things that i i try to reflect upon even when i get into discussions so, so hopefully it's helpful for people uh, i guess like number one thing is remember that the opinion of the other person is built on a foundation of knowledge that the other person uh, has differently than yourself. And so it's going to make it difficult to reach the same point. If you and I both get into a discussion about uh, scapular dyskinesis, and I'm trying to explain things to you and we're getting, we're both getting heated. You know, like we're going to run into an issue because I've got a foundation of knowledge that's different than your foundation. You're coming from a different point of having different knowledge sets and it's going to be difficult for us to necessarily come to the same point. So I might have to go a step back in explaining my point to you instead of just trying to get you to agree to whatever I'm saying. Because yeah. a lot of times people think that you know w winning a discussion is just getting you to agree with me, which is not necessarily accurate. This is really going to help with my arguments about scapular dyskinesis because that's a common thing that comes up all the time. So, but generally, if your heart's in the right place, you're coming from a place of wanting to put out the right information. So it's not necessarily about winning mm -hmm. a battle, but you think that there yeah. could be a bigger implication if you put out the wrong information. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then uh, another another point to keep in mind is that you could be wrong about what you're arguing. That's one part that is like very difficult for people to keep in mind, but. I know that I'm gonna now reference uh, Dean again, but freaking Dean! I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys were aware. Dean was a mentor of mine for like a long time. We so. did. We discussed it I, afterwards. I yeah, actually didn't know that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Dean actually said this thing to me one time, and it's like stuck with me for so long, and it definitely helped me probably stop being as much of a dick as I was when I was younger. <laughs> and it's that, you know, I'm okay being wrong because the moment I find out that I'm wrong. I'm just going to change my opinion to be right. He said that. Honestly, and, it's funny enough. I have to stop you. That was literally word, like, yeah, it was made word, up what he said in the podcast. Just recently, word for word, yep. Because I was like, man, what if you're wrong? He's like, oh, I'm always, I, I like to be wrong, because yeah. then that means I have an opportunity to be right when I'm... Exactly. <laughs> he, he listens and, to these, you know, so he'll get a kick out of this shit. It's, it's an incredibly smart opinion on it, because yeah. at the end of the day, do I care about the exact thing that I'm right on? Probably not. It's probably not that important. Like, if we start arguing about scapular dyskinesis, like, whatever the hell it's going to be, do I really care about the exact detail that I'm telling you? Probably not. But do I care about the end result that, you know, we're, I'm getting further in my knowledge set or you're getting further in your knowledge set? Yeah, that's probably what matters more. And uh, I think that's something, especially, like, we generally always think that we are just, like, dead set in our way, that we are so correct. But we as humans are so set up for failure in being correct. We're going to be wrong in so many different aspects. And so just like being comfortable with that, which can also be very difficult, is something to keep in mind. Um, then just like a third point, it's like this one is probably the most valuable thing people can do is like keep their cool. You don't win an argument just because you're louder. You might think you win, but you definitely didn't win the argument. You definitely did not convince the person that they should change their opinion freaking out or like getting really heated or getting just like upset with it in general doesn't do you any better. So just trying to stay cool and like maintain that composure through the conversation. I think it also speaks to your credibility to the audience in such discussions because we know a lot of these discussions happen on uh, Facebook or online forums and it's not just the two people having the conversation that are participating. It's a lot of other people soaking up the conversation and I've often ended up in a situation where if I'm having a discussion with someone, and I pick my battles now, with, with particularly strong paranoid conspiracy theorist type of uh, or, or pseudoscientific belief system that we're probably not going to be able to affect very well. We're not talking about two uh, physiotherapists arguing over some, some sort of difference in some technical stuff. We're talking about some really cuckoo beliefs. Often enough, I'll be very careful about how I frame it. I'll even say to them, like, I'm not remotely concerned with trying to change your opinion because you have this emotionally held belief system. I'm not going to even dent that, but I'm just playing to the audience here and I want to make sure that the audience doesn't get conned by your bullshit. <laughs> and if I'm yeah. careful about how I frame that, usually I feel like I can win the audience aside from the other paranoids. Mm -hmm. You want to win the argument. It's a very smart play. <laughs> no, but it, it, it goes back to even like all, and I try, I've been getting roped into certain things, but 
I try to stay out of a lot of the shit, but when I do, it's like I'm coming from a place of let's figure it out. Or when people look upon that, what's their judgment of me going to be? Am I am I judgy? Am I a fucking dick? Am I coming from a place where I'm not willing to listen? Like those things come through pretty evidently, especially in written format, mm-hmm. like, and it stays there. <laughs> And people will judge or like, and I'd rather just be that person who's open, or at least if I don't believe in what you believe in, I've come, and I've had a discussion that's meaningful. Because people may learn from you, even if, like, imagine Sam's getting into an argument with someone online. Someone might learn from your discussion, even if you didn't concede, you know what I mean? They might be like, man, that Sam guy's pretty smart. I mean, I think when (laughs) Alan Aragon argues with Gary Tobes over uh, nutrition stuff, a lot of the time... I don't, I think Alan kind of would love to see Gary come around, but Gary's been pretty much open to the fact that he won't change his opinions no matter what the research points to. But this is all play to the audience, and it's the hope that people will not get conned into some of these mm-hmm. crazy ideas. Now, Dean is pointing at the script, and he wants me to pivot. So here's what we're going to Well, no, it, we can get, we, honestly, it's just like, it. it's just like, it, I, I do have fun with it. I don't like getting roped into arguments I, for that exact no. reason, is that. Again, then you can get into places where, like, you have to fucking reference all the shit. You know what? I just, like, said an opinion. I didn't even want to reference all this stuff. It's too much fucking work. And I, then, I, I just like, <laughs> I like fucking with Dean. It's, uh, it's like, there was, a, you'll have to listen to, I think it's the Dean Somerset uh, episode that's going to come out in about a week from yours about the Gilmore Girls. And uh, Dean is, Guido is a little still rattled from some Gilmore Girls stuff that yes. went on in that episode. So Sam, Sam knows about the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So uh, what we wanted to talk about, and you love this stuff, is uh, we've seen a massive surge in participation in barbell sports recently. Powerlifting is huge. Olympic lifting is growing. And obviously CrossFit is, well, CrossFit. So uh, what are your thoughts on this trend, its value, and some of the pitfalls inherent? And to just pre-curse this question is that Sam is actually, well, you've been involved in all three at this point. And successful in all of them in your own right. So you have a little yeah, bit like of depending upon what you, Yeah, depending upon what you classify as like a barbell sport, yeah. I competed in uh, powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, CrossFit, and Highland Games, which uh, doesn't have a barbell, but it's heavy stuff. So have cabers are kind of um, different, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. So what's your thoughts um, on the trend, I guess, and, the, and like some of the pitfalls, I guess? I'm actually like incredibly stoked for this personally, just because, you know, obviously selfishly, it allows me to uh, combine everything that I'm incredibly passionate about into one. But outside of that, just for other people out there, I think it holds a lot of value. We see a lot of physical activities that are out there that people, when they're younger, get really into. For instance, like football, you're not really able to pursue that for a very long time beyond a certain age. You don't see too many guys playing competitive football past the age of 25. And especially as like a hobby to stay fit. Whereas something like a barbell is incredibly easy to keep going. There's no real age restriction on it. There's no means you can't do it. It doesn't require much. It's uh, generally a cheap activity. Uh, You need some minor coaching abilities. But outside of that, it's a great way with the new community that's growing up with it. Especially, you know, in Edmonton, you've got this awesome community around it where you've got the different gyms that are getting involved in it with L2, Evolve. And then you've also just got the, the growing um, federations that are trying to push for it. So you're getting a lot more people that are now getting the community aspect from it, which before, don't want to hit on, uh, I know we could hit on CrossFit, but CrossFit brought that to a high degree as they helped drive these further because they made it such a community aspect. They built the model. And that's a part... Them. Exactly. And, you know, like, I'm here in Southern California where CrossFit's, like, arguably at its highest. And um, the other sports here, like uh, powerlifting, weightlifting, those are really huge as well. And you also see that a lot of those people just hang out and spend time together. So a lot of people might join those things to then have more community aspect from it, which then helps further their health in general, which is great. So I think that it's just an incredible thing to happen. I'm, uh, people have this misconception that I'm, uh, you know, on the CrossFit hate train, and that's actually not entirely true at all. I mean, I like poking fun at everything, and sometimes CrossFitters that I know don't necessarily take it all that well. I got some buddies who will post on my wall negative shit about CrossFit, but I, uh, echoing what you said, CrossFit as a trend has put more barbells in hands and more feet in gyms in probably the last, well, more than half a decade than any other trend we've ever seen. And it's probably a whole Mm -hmm. lot better than, Idiots telling women just to p- never pick up something heavier than a three-pound dumbbell or using uh, waist trainers and wraps and detoxes and cleanse and all this other sort of crap. Mm. So CrossFit is in a massive value in what it's doing. And 
people criticize, oh, well, there's coaches that don't teach it very well. And there's, yeah, there's some movements within CrossFit that probably not everybody should be doing. Perhaps like overhead kettlebell swings or some Olympic lifts. Maybe not everyone's meant to do that stuff. But we have personal trainers and physiotherapists, as we alluded to earlier, and powerlifting coaches and coaches in almost every realm who are not qualified to teach this stuff that people are lining up to pay money to work with. So why is CrossFit really any different than any of these other disciplines? And why does it get more hate, I suppose, is a rhetorical question. So anyone who's really transfixed on negativity towards CrossFit, I think that's a little bit misplaced. And I think you could really look at all the positive that is coming out of it. And perhaps if there are people, yeah, some people may get hurt. They get hurt doing everything. Perhaps at least they get started there and maybe they transition to something that's a bit better for them. And one thing I was... Outside of that rant, um, which I think we're all in, the, well, I'm in agreement with. What has has your background in these sports? Like, how is that going to affect you going forward in terms of physiotherapy, especially being in the mecca? Like, the, how has that changed the way that you practice? I guess your craft. Um, you know, it's it's hard to you know separate and say just because I read all the information that, you know, supports doing these things. Yeah. Like, I think that if we go and look at evidence around, um, like I think that squatting is awesome. I think deadlifting is awesome. And like, I want everyone to do them. But what I also know is that leg strength is one of the best determinants of longevity in life. Like we know that people who are strong, have a, a stronger lower extremity will more likely live longer. So that tells me, I want people to squat. I want people to deadlift for those characteristics. I'm not going to, I can't separate and say that I'm doing it purely for the um, leg strength aspect or more that I just love squatting and deadlifting. But, you know, it, it helps to support my own bias and yeah. allows me, when I work with most people, I'm going to say that the majority of people that I've worked with, depending upon their condition, I do some form of a squat, some form of a hinge, some form of a press, some form of a pull, something like that with them. Because they're just incredibly smart movements. And they just make sense to challenge the body. Now, I might do them in certain different or slightly different ways depending upon what I'm trying to stress. Like if I'm working with someone who's post-ACL, well, you know, I'm going to do it in a different range of motion potentially. If I'm working with someone who has patellar tendinopathy, I'm going to have them do it depending upon how reactive they are or how degenerative they are. I might do it at a different degree of how much forward knee that they have and how much tempo that they go through. Versus someone that has patellar femoral pain, but I might do the exact same exercises with the majority of people. But it's the rationale and the fine tuning of things that differs. Um, I'm glad you actually said that because we're going to kind of come back full circle on this in terms of um, opportunities of working with people with these things or correctives or I guess the idea that we need to problem solve certain movements. So at this point in time. I guess it depends on how you think about it, but physiotherapists, strength and conditioning coaches, trainers, the line is sort of blurring, not necessarily on purpose, but you take Dr. John Rush and yourself, you've embraced the fitness industry, you're working on educating trainers. Do you see any problems in the future and even now with trainers leaving their scope or too many trainers simply doing things that they're not qualified for? Knowing simply, and even on the opposite end of things, like with physiotherapists teaching movement that they're not qualified for, what do you see going forward I guess your issues or comments on that blurring the lines idea. Yeah, I think there's a few different ways to discuss this. And the first one is that I will admit when for myself, I chose to, you know, I started as a strength conditioning coach and I think that I was excellent at that and that I was helping a lot of people that had pain or different injuries and they were managing them through that help. And that's one of the things that also pushed me to go and get my doctorate. Yeah. Now I will definitely add the, and you know reflecting back i was not doing things as smartly as i should have there was a lot of things that i was doing incorrectly because i didn't have that information like i can recall that i worked with people that had tendinopathy i didn't even know what tendinopathy was and then i definitely was not making them go in the heavy slow resistance format which is the prime treatment method for that i didn't even know that isometrics held with pain relief for those populations like, i didn't know that information because i hadn't been educated on it but I was doing stuff for those people and they were feeling generally better with it. And so there was just a lot of room that I was missing on and I was failing with. And I think that's going to happen a lot as we see people that are trying to blur those lines. 
And obviously, like we've discussed, like there's bad people in both professions. So like you might find personal trainers and strength coaches who do a better job. As much as I love my physio profession, a lot of them are not great. And we're going to see people that can cross over that line. And technically, they shouldn't be doing that, but they're probably helping people more than some of the other people out there. And in the opposite side, you're going to see some incredible physios who are going to start speaking out about stuff like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or any of those things. You see a guy like Quinn Hennick, who is very ad, uh, very vocal about weightlifting technique. And you know he might challenge a bunch of other weightlifting coaches out there, but the dude is incredibly smart on the topic and able to speak more highly on it than most people. And now, technically, he's a physical therapist, but he's going to be challenging most weightlifting coaches. And we're going to see that line get blurred a lot. And at times, I obviously get pissed off with it because, you know, I came and I'm dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars to get my degree. And it's annoying when I see someone that's, you know, infringing upon my rights. But then it's really like, I've come to a point where I've really given a lot of thought to it and like, I know the service that I can provide to people and what I can offer. And when I show that people aren't going to go elsewhere. And as long as I continue to show that and demonstrate that I don't have to worry about my, my own practice and I can just continuously offer an excellent service and demonstrate why people should come to me as a physical therapist versus, you know, personal trainer down the street. And as long as other physical therapists step up to that, we don't have to worry about our profession. Now, if they choose not to do that and they just want to complain about it, that's their choice. But I think that's the route that we should take instead of like trying to challenge other people to not do stuff. It's like, let's demonstrate why we are so valuable. I like that point you you hit on and it kind of goes to a broader thing to all trainers in general. And if you're so focused on other people and what they're doing, I think you're potentially missing something really important and just focus on what you do. If you're worried about your competition, you're not focused on the things that you can control and I'm not particularly worried about what most other trainers are out there doing or, you know, like looking at someone going, oh, well, that person's doing this and that's unethical. Well, I'll call out bad practice, but I'm not worried about those people being competition for my clients. I think the other end of that coin is to, if we see people doing truly unethical things, uh, again, trainers who are basically on the floor manipulating joints and doing things that they absolutely are way beyond their scope of practice. I still think it's also quite important to highlight those things and to make sure that and that's my next question it. was going to be, where does that line of out of scope go? And, and the reason why I asked that is because we have another plug at Tony and Dean, but we have their hip and shoulder blueprint where we're doing assessments mm-hmm. and doing certain scours or look at something like FRC, which has been hugely popular at this point. We're doing end range strength stuff. And I wouldn't say diagnosing, but saying, Hey, this may help that. Where is that line mm-hmm. now in terms of ethics and morals in terms of, you, you know what I mean? Like in terms of corrective exercise, let's say, or assessment of injury or movements they can do. I don't think that we can give like a definitive line to those things. But if we look at like, what are you legally allowed to do? Perhaps might be the consideration yeah. at most. Um, like, especially what some people don't consider as well as like, let's say that you do something and something doesn't go right. Is your insurance going to cover you? Oh. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Like I was just at a gym, um, a few weeks ago, I saw the trainers there were doing, so you made a point of like manipulations, mobilizations, yes. we'll, we'll throw all of that stuff. That is not being covered by an insurance company for people that don't have training for it. So if you are a personal trainer and you want to do that, you're, you're going to be sued by for a lot of money. Now in Canada, you might get slightly off a little bit easier, but in the US, you're going to be screwed for life. Now, similarly, like if you pull out an ultrasound machine, if you have one as a personal trainer, that would be stupid. Um, <laughs> That's if, a lie. If you, uh, um, same thing if you pull out like a TENS unit. Let's say that you bought one off of Amazon and you want to pop it on to pay, uh, clients at the gym. Like that's, that's not going to go well for you either. I hope these things sound stupid to people, but I was at a gym a few weeks ago and I saw that they decided this gym was going to run a class on using voodoo floss bands. Now, at face value, a lot of people might think that it's no big deal, but depending upon the way that you use these things, they can actually have a lot of negative effects. And what people don't know about them, for instance, like if I wrap it around a joint that's like relatively bony, doesn't have a lot of soft tissue, like my knee, I'm, I'm going to be relatively fine. There's not a lot of risk to that. In contrast, if I wrap it around something like my upper arm, like uh, midway between my elbow and my shoulder, there is a lot of soft tissue. There's a lot of vasculature. There's a lot of ves- uh, nerve vessels there. 
And so in contrast, I could offer myself some occlusion, which would limit the blood flow. That's and I then I could also damage, I could also damage nerves and then I could have long-term effects. So like when I was at the gym, you know, I'd mentioned to the people that this was not a very smart idea to be doing. And then I just stepped away. Like, it's not my thing. You want to get sued. That's your issue. I really don't like the idea that like, obviously I'm leaving people at risk because they don't know any better. Like the people in the class that are doing this, but it's like, I, it's not appropriate for me to come in and step in and say like, you're all fucking idiots. Stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. But you know, I'm off on the other side of the gym. And then I hear that one person is trying to get off one of the bands because it's on their upper arm. And now their arm is going numb. And now the, the band got wrapped and they can't get off fast. And now their arm's starting to hurt and it's just continually going. And it's like, what is the benefit for you to do this? Let's is it just that you want to show show something? Like, what? What? How is it worth that risk? Let's cause like me as a yeah. I'm never going to do that. Like, I will. I just don't see how it's beneficial over the risk, at least. And that's where the same thing comes with like blood flow restriction training. Yeah, I was going to go technically, right there. <laughs> yeah, like technically in the U.S. I don't know about Canada, but in the U.S., you are not legally required to be certified in it. Hmm. And that's for physical therapists, trainers, everything. So anyone can, I guess, do it. But if something bad happens, your insurance company is not going to cover you. And that's the thing that's like, is it worth that risk? There's a company out there that's called Owens Recovery Science. And they're like the leading uh, people on educating on it. I know like Zach Long of Barbell Physio. He's one of the uh, people that teaches it. Mario Nova, who teaches it. Dr. Jeremy Lenneke. Very smart. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. Is Jeremy Lenneke with that company though? No, no, he's not with that company. He's just, he's one yeah. of the preeminent minds and researchers on occlusion training. Yeah, and uh, know exactly. He's a very good friend of Lane Norton, so Lane will do a lot of that stuff too. And Lenneke's a really good follow on Twitter. He's really sarcastic and oh, funny. Oh, so. so funny. Yeah, and uh, the only thing that I'll say is that unless you understand certain parts of it, it, it can hold a risk to it. Like when people think that the tighter the better, you know, that's incredibly not accurate the tighter, the more risk that there is. And that's where you have to be very careful. And that's why, you know, like if I'm, if I were to ever use it as a clinician, I would be buying one of those blood pressure cuffs that I can monitor the blood pressure accurately as I occluded. Because I know that under a certain degree of millimeters of mercury occlusion for the average person, I will start to create nerve vessel damage. And I could make that person, like if I were to put it on the upper arm, I could create someone with permanent carpal tunnel syndrome. That's not worth the risk. This reminds me of something I just saw. It's a little bit of a side tangent, but it's still it. So there's a, there's a guy who is not on my Facebook friend list, who I feel like <laughs> is because he tags several people I know in every single goddamn fucking thing he posts. <laughs> and he's posting videos and stuff. And if anyone's listening, they're going to know what I'm talking about. And then he posts a video of him doing some uh, occlusion training uh, with weight that is definitely too heavy. I mean, doesn't understand how this thing is supposed to work. You're supposed to use a fairly light load. And I'm just watching this going, oh, fuck. Like, no. And again, at least it's not a trainer trying to teach other people stuff. But I see tons of people now posting on their social medias it, almost instructional things that I know other people are going to try. And I just see this dumb shit. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. And you know what? I, I could almost post on it because the guy is almost like a friend. Because sure enough, he's always... He's on my feet as much as anyone else I know because he tags all these people. I'm at the point where I'm going to unfollow them all and I don't want to see his shit anymore because I get bent out of shape of dumb crap like this. But you, you see this kind of stuff. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. like, I guess if there's a takeaway from this is, guys, Use your be brain. very fucking careful about who you're watching and taking stuff from. And mm -hmm. this is why I would rather you guys actually follow Sam on his social media, and we'll get to that, versus some of this well, other crap. And this is one thing that even if we're talking about blurring the lines and physiotherapists and we go into chiros who act, physios who act like strength and conditioning coaches, I or think. what about that, the chiros that are diagnosing food allergies with clickers well, but, and shit like that? I, but I'm, what I'm saying that is that there, there needs to be a, I don't want to say there needs to be a better model, but I think that, and I'm sure you, you will agree with this and a lot of people will, is a combination of all of those things. Because like I would, it would be awesome if I had someone who was dealing with hip pain. If they went to their chiro or physio who knew that shit and gave them a diagnosis that I could help with, as opposed to like them going mm -hmm. and like, well, I just need to get fucking needled to do this shit, and then they come back like, well, I don't know what the problem is. I think it's going to be a combination of all those things, which is essentially my question is, <sighs> I'm not going to say, do you think what you're doing is right? But do you think that the kind of model that you're kind of following in terms of education and where you're going towards this is that? something that some of these people should maybe think about doing, even going back and getting educated on how to be a strength conditioning 
I don't want to say expert, but at least getting knowledgeable in that. Yeah, I think that it holds a lot of value. And, you know, you didn't want to ask who I think it's right, but I'll say (laughs) I think it's like pretty much right. There's definitely not a perfect scenario, but I think that in general, the way that I'm trying to practice is where I, number one, encourage as much self-efficacy for the patients or like trying to help them feel like they can manage their own stuff and take care of their own life, which is actually shows in the research to be a major factor. The more self-efficacy a patient has, the more likely that they're going to get better. The other part to that is that if I can use other people, I'm going to like when I work with a patient and I know that they also have a personal trainer and I know that they go see that personal trainer. I'm like, Hey, is it cool if I talk with them? Is it cool if we have a discussion about the stuff that you're doing? Cause maybe we just make some minor modifications, some tweaks about what you're doing. And that way you can keep doing everything that you're doing with them. You don't have to stop. It's just like, maybe we just think more about this. And I try to always be like, I'm not coming in to like shut down the personal training. You do what you want to do, but I'm going to educate the person on like why they might be experiencing some discomfort with what they're doing. And I just hope that you would take my considerations into value. Well, that's where I see blurring the line going in effect is that essentially like, like let's say I work with Sam, we both have a mutual client and you're going to teach me some things that you do with them. Now, mm-hmm. maybe I'm that same person who wants to do those things with someone else because now I'm a little bit more educated, but don't, I don't have that clinical background. And that's where I kind of see, mm-hmm. I don't want to say blurring the lines going forward, but there is a lot of that. Like I can go learn how to do some mm-hmm. things, but I don't want to do those things. I'd rather be connected with someone like you. So that's, I think I think I can reframe some of this stuff and it's we've been dancing around it. There are going to be people out there and you mentioned Dean Somerset earlier and Dean's got a lot of designations and a lot of knowledge. And quite frankly, I've said this, he's smarter than probably half the physiotherapists that I have ever encountered in, uh, you know, in Edmonton sure. or at least. Uh, but Dean knows where his scope is. I think the mm-hmm. the people who are credible, who are qualified, they know these things. Whereas mm-hmm. you get people who are doing a, a single corrective exercise course and all of a sudden they're an expert and then they've seen yeah. something on the internet and all of a sudden they're doing a bunch of stuff that's really wandering into some gray or, or mm-hmm. red territory they shouldn't be. So I think, mm-hmm. I don't think this is necessarily as big a problem as we're worried about. And I think that the, the qualified people are, are safe in that aspect. But uh, yeah. I, I just think that newer, younger, inexperienced trainers should just tread carefully and just be, yeah. be a little cautious about where they go. Mm-hmm. Good. I think that's a good point. Um, okay, man, we're coming in on like an hour one. And yeah. I, I, we, could, we could dive down this rabbit hole forever. <laughs> I think that there's going to be no right answers. It's just like tread lightly. And you know what? I mean, understand your scope and try to work with multiple professionals or just be a physiotherapist and strict conditioning coach at the same time. And you'll have a little bit more bang for your buck. Right, Sam? I think exactly. (laughs) if you're not sure, I mean, again, you've got people, if you're listening to this and you're probably already on the right track, don't reach out to someone like Sam who who knows this stuff potentially and ask, Hey, can I do this? And maybe it's a yes. Maybe it's a no, or maybe it's like, give Sam the book question. Give him the book question. I'll give him the book question. We always do book questions because Andrew loves books, but yeah, I like to read a lot of books. So, uh, I always ask this stuff. Um, are there any important or influential books that you've read that you feel would have a big impact on anyone listening? You know, uh, there's one book that I give like pretty much any time I'm on a podcast. Like I was just on the Movement Docs last night, and I I want want to give like the exact same one. Sure. Or yeah, go ahead. it's just uh, this book is incredible, and it's it's called Being Wrong: Adventures in the Margin of Error, and it's by a uh, reporter, Catherine Scholes. And basically, so first off, it's not like a super short book it's i think it's like 18 hours on audiobook what? and uh <laughs> it's it's very long but it's because it goes through all these different examples and discussions about how we as humans are wrong all the time we suck at knowing stuff there but honestly it was so influential on me it was uh given to me as a recommendation by a person that i look up to and he told me you know your mind's gonna be blown you're gonna start to recognize this stuff a lot more and the other part that's going to build off of it is you're going to be more comfortable with being wrong and totally accurate. So I would highly recommend that book to people. Cool. I, I think I'm going to put that one in the queue. <laughs> Andrew asked these good. questions so that he can get more books. Three, FYI. Yeah. Nothing to do with our audience. Well, actually, what I try to do is because I post everything I read, uh, I do a lot of audiobooks and I listen to them on 1.5 times speed so you can get through them faster. And then I follow people like uh, Mark Fisher just posted all the books he read this year. And I'm just like, oh, my sweet God. Like, that's that's insane. <laughs> But I hope it maybe inspires people to pick up a book or even try audiobooks a little bit more. Or at least I want them to feel really fucking shameful and guilty for not reading anything because they're spending all their time 
listening or like watching television, for example, which is not evil in of itself, sure. but you know, too much. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. So, and then we're okay. You asked the question because man, the biggest question. Where can listeners find you, man? So again, you're kind of up and coming in terms of what you're doing, and uh, you humbly spoke mm-hmm. about Exos, but Sam's in probably one of the best places he can be at for a stage in the career. I won't dive into that too much. Where do people follow you, man? Where do they see what you're putting out? And I know you got some eBooks and stuff, but what's the main place to find Sam stuff? I've got a website, thestrengththerapist.com. You can find me on Instagram, thestrengththerapist. Facebook, The Strength Therapist. You can also friend request me if you really want, Sam Spinelli. Um, make no promises of accepting, but generally I accept most people. He accepted and me. Then, that was uh, really cool of you. <laughs> uh, Twitter, you can give me uh, The Strength Physio. And then uh, if you really want to have a conversation, feel free to call or text me. My phone number is 774-641-1071. I've uh, offered that out a couple times on different podcasts. And I've had a few people reach out, which is always interesting. <laughs> It could be really interesting if you think about it. <laughs> depending on who contacted you. But cool. Yeah. Well, Sam, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for this. I, I really hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. So uh, thanks for coming on. And any thanks parting, for having me. any parting thoughts? Any any last sort of things you'd want to throw at people? Uh, no, just make sure that you guys are following these two guys on social media because there's a lot of great content that's coming out. You know, good job, Sam. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> on that note, take it easy, guys. Shut up and sit down.